Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew's Gospel. In chapter 28, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 835. Last week, we were able to hear from the uh, team that went to Mexico on the missions trip, and we kind of had a theme of, of Great Commission living or just bringing the gospel out, and... and uh, because of scheduling and time, the, it just seemed best that uh, we, we have this message this week. And so we're continuing that theme from Matthew 28 of Great Commission Living. Now, this is a text that a lot of people understand is called the Great Commission or when Jesus gives the mandate to his church and to his followers to take the, the message out to the entire world. And so... In verse 18 of Matthew 28, it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of of the age. And so here we have a text that has been given to us, and, and it's been a text that Christians for centuries have come back to and, and gotten our marching orders, so to speak, if you will. We're told what we're supposed to accomplish here, how we're supposed to act, and what we're supposed to do. And, and in this text, it's important to understand that the verses there between the, uh, 19 and 20, first it starts that Jesus says that I have the authority, in verse 18, to give you this. I, it is the authority that the Father has given to me to command this to you. And so this is how you ought to live, and this is to be the, the, the focus of my followers. And so in verses 19 and 20, it's important to understand that there's really only one command there. And that command is what is translated as make disciples there. Now, a lot of times when we look at this and the way we read it in our English language, it would appear that there's actually more commands than, than that. But there's only one, and that's make disciples. And the rest of the words that we would maybe interpret as commands, like go, first of all, in verse 19, that would be more telling us how we're to do this. But let's answer a couple questions this morning. In your outline, you have two questions in the outline of the bulletin that we're, we're going to address, uh, depending on how this time goes, because uh, I was planning on a shorter message last week because of the testimonies. I may actually insert something in there. We'll see how it goes. But first of all, number one, what does the Great Commission ask us to do? We need to answer this question is, what is this telling us that we should be doing? And as I said, there's only one command here, and that's to make disciples. But there's four elements of that. First of all, we have participation. This is the understood you here. And if if I were to say, you know, okay, stand up, then that would be an understood you where I'm saying you stand up. And so that is the same here. It says go and make disciples. And the understanding is that you need to do this. And so the point is, is that if you're a believer in Christ, this is relevant to you. If if you are someone who says that Jesus Christ is my Lord, then this is for you. If you are someone that says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ or I'm a Christian, then you are invited, yea, even commanded to be participants in this. 
And so I'm trying to make the point very clear this morning that all of us who claim to follow Christ need to learn from this this morning. We need to heed this this morning. And so there's this understood you here that we are to be participating in this. And so when it comes to bringing the gospel to the world, when it comes to telling others about Jesus Christ, that is for all of us who claim to know Christ. So there's participation Secondly, we can look at in this of what does it ask us to do is mobilization. We have participation. We have mobilization. That's in that word go there. Literally, it's in the present tense. And so it's like going or as you're going, make disciples. And so we need to be willing to move. We need to be willing to to get up and, and, and approach someone and ask them about their spiritual condition. And we need to be willing to help others go. If maybe it's not possible for us to go to another place, then we need to help others go there. So there's an idea of participation, but then mobilization here, where we need to be willing to relocate possibly. We need to be willing to change our lives up out of our comfort zones a little bit for the sake of the gospel. Participation, mobilization. We need to be willing to go. We need to help people go. Go across the street. Go to another part of the world. And that brings us to the third one, globalization. Nations there. It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Literally, this is the idea of people groups or ethnos. And so it's this idea of that we need to have a strategy. We need to have a, a, a goal in mind to take the gospel, not just to our neighbors next door, but also to the ends of the earth. That's one of the things that I know the Mexico team appreciated that when they were able to go on that trip is that they were able to look and see that they were taking the gospel. They were seeing the people down there bringing the gospel to other parts of the earth. I've had the privilege of being in different countries and, and all over the world and, and seeing God's people take the word of God and bring it to the corners of the earth. And that's what we're trying to do here. We have a missions program in our church that, that we're, we're constantly uh, endeavoring to beef up and, and make better. But the idea is that we need to have this mindset that the gospel has to go to the world. Globalization. This is what the Great Commission is asking us to do, to participate, to be mobile, have a global idea. Then the last one there is saturation. It says all nations. It doesn't just say some nations. It says all nations. And so go therefore make disciples of all nations. And so we should have a desire here in our church to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth everywhere. And isn't this what happened in the book of Acts? Remember in Acts 1, and when, when Jesus, he ascended and he went to heaven. And after that, he, and he gave the, uh, or, or as he was doing it, he gave the last commands to the disciples or the apostles there. And he says, you will receive power. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you start where you're at and keep working out, keep working out until the, it's the, the world has been saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we're here. I, I, I just, I, I get so concerned with my own soul and with the souls of, of us here in this church that we get so caught up in day-to-day -day life and we, we start worrying about all the different facets of life and, and the pressures and we all have them and we, we prayed about some of them this morning and, and you know, I, I, I get it. We get consumed with day-to-day -day life and, 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 you know, my daughter, she started 4K this last week, okay? And so I... I I didn't think 
that it would, it would bother me that my, my little girl's in school. But it did. And so it just consumed my mind that day. My, I, I, I left work, and so, because she's in the afternoon class, and so I met my, my wife, and we, we, we take Mia to first day of 4K, and she's ready to go. I mean, she, she's, she's got this thing down, okay? And so, so we get there, and we get her in line, and, and, you know, she's standing by the red dot, you know, wish it would have been a maze or a blue dot, but it was a red dot that she was standing there. And so she's standing there in line, and next thing I know, my little girl's walking into school. And I'm standing there with my wife and my, my son. And we look at each other and we're like, I, I guess we got to leave now. <laughs> I, I guess we got to go. And so we're walking. And, and so I tell to, to, my, to, to, to my wife, I, I, say, I say, so we just left our daughter with a bunch of people we don't really know. <laughs> This is good. <laughs> we were fine because she's God's. And she gives us that joy. And he gives us that joy knowing that, that he loves her. It's easy to get consumed with life. It's easy to get consumed with what the next thing in life is and to think about that. But you know, I, I, I'm amazed at my little daughter who, you know, she, she's not a Christian yet. She's only four but, you know, she, she's concerned, concerned with Christian things. And she talks about wanting to tell others about Jesus in her class. You know, it's rebuking to me as a dad. Because I want to think, well, well, do I have that same pers- perspective and that same passion? Do, do I have that same goal in mind to say, okay, I'm going to participate in the Great Commission every day. When I wake up, this is one of the reasons why God has placed me here is so that I can bring glory to his name by telling others about Christ. And so we have the strategy of going to the ends of the earth. This is what the Great Commission asks us to do. I have time to insert something else. This is not in your outline, okay? So I'm just going to give this to you. So if you're taking notes, you can just write this on the side here. But this first, the first question is, what is it that the Great Commission asks us to do? The second question we can answer is, how are we to do it? And the same passage tells us this. First of all, there's again this understood proclamation of, and that's the first word if you're writing down proclamation. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. How are we to do that? Well, we're to tell people about Christ. It's implicit in there that we have to communicate and we have to tell people about Jesus. And so, so the question we need to ask ourselves is, is when was the last time we had these conversations with other people? And telling them about Jesus, there's proclamation. Not only is there proclamation, but there's education. Where it says, teaching them, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. This is not something that is just a one-time conversation and then you move on. This is an idea of a relationship. This is how we have to get to know people. Get to know our neighbors. Get to know people we work with. Get to know the community that we're in. So that we can have education. And we can have this idea of bringing the gospel to them on a consistent basis. So there's proclamation. There's education. There's indoctrination. The third word would be there. Indoctrination. It says teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Okay. But before that, it says baptizing them what? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them through that. And so the idea there is that there's indoctrination about who God is. So it's not just spiritual things, but the idea of teaching them who God is. And then the last word there of how we do this is identification. And that's seen in baptism. 
Baptism is when we publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Baptism is the the right that God has given to Christians to publicly proclaim that they are one with Jesus and that they follow Jesus and they're desiring to follow him and so that they want to be considered a Christ follower. And these are the, the, this is how we do this. And so, again, we're going through this quickly here because we're going to go to an application text in a minute here. But the point is this. This great commission text is applicable and relevant to us today in 2015 just as much as it was when Jesus wrote it and Jesus spoke these words, I should say. But the question we got to ask ourselves is, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Because if we really believe that, then it would motivate us more than I think what it does. We all have fears. Because isn't that what keeps us from doing this? Isn't it fear? We have fears. How do we start these conversations? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? How am I going to answer this objection? What if they reject me? All these fears that we have... But my friend, you have the words of truth. It's like, it's like when, when, when a bunch of disciples turned, they were following Jesus for a while. And they turned and they, 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 they stopped following him. So Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to turn away too? Do you remember what Peter said? He says, where do we go? He's like, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, well, if we turn and go someplace else, we're dead. We have no hope. You have what we need. You have what the world needs. No, we're not going anywhere. This is what we need to have here. Is this this passion that we have the words of truth, not in an arrogant sense, in a humble sense of saying that we need to take this to the world, this great commission. So where do we need to grow? This is the second question that's listed in the bulletin. Where do we need to grow? Let me encourage you to turn to Luke 16. Now, I shared some of this with a uh, Sunday school class several weeks ago. So some of you may uh, recognize some of this material here. But I I thought it was very important for us to consider this again. So uh, Luke 16. Here's a parable that is... um, is it is it is an interesting parable? It's one of the more difficult parables. It's page eight seventy five. If you're using one of the Bibles uh, provided for you, it's a parable of the dishonest manager. So let me read this to you, and this is going to be more of our application point this morning. Jesus also said to the disciples, verse one of Luke sixteen: "There's a rich man who had a manager." And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. And he said to the other, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said, Take your bill and write eighty. The master 
commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is which in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this is a difficult parable because there's some things that when you read it, you're reading it going, now, now Jesus, I, I, I mean, you're Jesus. Did you really mean that, though, when you said that? You, 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 there's, there's some elements to it. So, like, one of them is, why is this dishonest manager praised? He's, he, in, in the story that Jesus tells, the manager is, is uh, uh, praised by the master in verse 8 for his shrewdness. Well, there's a big difference between saying, I applaud this dishonest steward because he acted in a clever way, and then, or I applaud the clever steward because he acted dishonestly. It wasn't because of the dishonest nature that he was praised. It was because that the master realized, this man, this guy was shrewd. Because here's the story. He knew he was going to be fired. He knew he was going to be out on the street. He didn't know what to do. And he says, and it, the, the, the conundrum is put up there in verse uh, uh, 3, it is, when he says, look, I'm not strong enough to, to dig. Okay, so I, I'm weak. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to do this. Um, and I'm too ashamed to beg. Uh, so he's, you can see him going through his options here, and he, he didn't feel like he had too many options. But then he says, I've decided what to do. What this means is that he, he came upon a solution of, he says, here's what I'm going to do. What he did was, is he ingratiated himself with all the master's debtors so that then they would let him, uh, they would be, treat him favorably after he got fired. And so this is the reason why the master said, okay, you, you, you robbed from me. You were dishonest with me, but you were protecting yourself. And I got to admit, you know, it was, I got to admit that was shrewd thinking. So it wasn't that he was saying it was a good thing he did. He was just saying it was, it was pretty shrewd on his part. And it was, it was, uh, he was acting with practical intelligence here. But another difficult part about this is like, what does it mean to use money to make friends? Or what, what, is, what is going on here? So we got to look at what is, what is the point of this? The point of this parable is we're going to get to it by understanding two key elements. The first is this, is that the man was a steward, he wasn't an owner, and that the man was shrewd. These are the two things about that this person that is highlighted here that will give us the main point. So the idea here is that we own nothing. Everything has been given to us be used for eternal gain. And so we should be faithful and creative in how we use what God has entrusted to us. So if I was going to give you a main point of this parable, it would be this. Faithful, intentional use of God's resources is expected of every believer. And so what he's saying here, he's commending this person of saying that, that he was using the resources that he had to protect himself. He was being very shrewd. But the key of this entire parable, I believe, is verse 8. 
When it says, the master commended the dishonest manager for shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This is the application point. This is where Jesus is driving home here. And he says, and he, what he's getting at is that resources are to be used for God's kingdom. And resources are much more than money. Resources include time and speech and travel ability, social networking, etc. These are all part of the list of resources that God has given to each one of us. So how do we make application from this? How do we tie all this together? We've talked about Great Commission stuff. We've talked about what it's commanding. And we've talked about this, this parable that's kind of difficult to understand here. And then this idea of that resources are to be used. How do we tie all this together. I'm going to say this. I believe that we need to grow in our ability to use what God has given to us to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. I think that God has given us much more than we realize. We have more resources than we realize. And again, resources are much more than money. And we need to be faithful and intentional with the use of that. But, here's the point that I want to drive home. The world, or the sons of this age, is much more intentional and forward-thinking about the use of their resources than Christians. That's the point of the text here. That's the point of this parable here. In verse 8, it says, They are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Who are the sons of light? The people who follow God, the ones who they understand who God is. They're much more resourceful in dealing with what they have. You know, as an illustration of this, uh, one of my favorite uh, beverages to drink is Coke. Much to my wife's chagrin, uh, my wife grew up where uh, pop, as I call it, was a, uh, a treat more than anything. And in my home, Coke was, uh, it went with every meal, including breakfast. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, for a while, uh, when I worked at, as a waiter when I was in high school, uh, I was, we had free drinks there at the, uh, and so I was drinking a lot of pop. And one day I decided, I was like, man, I wonder how much I'm drinking. And so I, I took a log one day and I realized that I was drinking two, two liters a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not proud of the fact. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and so it was like, you know, I was on the fast track to diabetes. I, but, um, so I, I cut it back. You know, I don't drink that, you know, that much now. I'm down to one, two liter. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, but I, I, we, don't, we don't drink that much. But Coke is, is it's, it's a drink that I, I crave. It's kind of like if, if you, know, you would have like a, you know, like a chocolate cake or something like that or a can of Coke, I would choose Coke. Okay, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's what it is for me. But, you know, Coke, it, it, it hasn't been around that long. Um, 1889 is when Coke uh, was first came on the market in the city of Atlanta. This church was started in 1855. So this church is older than Coke. Um, but uh, there's a map I want to show you. Um, that map sh- shows where you can buy Coke in the world. Okay? Now, you probably can't see it. There are only two countries that are not, uh, 
you know, don't have red all over it, um, ironically. Uh, one is Cuba, okay, and the other one is North Korea, okay? Those are the only two countries. But there's evidence of it being sold on the black market there, okay? So we have, we have underground Coke distribution, okay, in these, in these two countries here. So, okay, 1889, this, this, this company started, okay? And today, in 2015, it, is, it can be bought anywhere. In fact, according to Business Insider, the red and white logo of Coke logo is recognized by 94% of the world's population. 94% of the world's population recognizes the brand of Coke. That's astounding to me. Um, in 1889, when it started, Coke was served to an average of nine people a day. Okay, in Atlanta, nine people a day, and they were fortunate and blessed nine people. Okay, <laughs> today, how many do you think we have that, that are served Coke today? 1.9 billion people a day are served Coke or have Coke in some way. That's astounding to me. And I don't fault Coke at all. I think, man, they got great strategy. But I wonder, I wonder if this is what Jesus was getting at here. In this parable here when he says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than sons of light. I long for the day where, where we could say 94% of the world's population recognizes the name of Jesus Christ. I long for the day to say that, that, that 1.9 billion people a day are, are, are hearing about Jesus. But how are we doing? How are we doing? Well, there's a, a short video clip that I want to show to answer that question. So go ahead and play that video.
That's sobering. When I, when I look at those numbers and, and you can look at where they get all those statistics, they list it for you. But when I, I put that question of how are we doing, we have a lot of improving to do. We have a lot of improving to do. And so I believe that we need to be much more resource-focused uh, uh, and intuitive and creative in how we bring the gospel to the world. And so letter B in your outline there, so eternal resourceful thinking should affect our mission strategy. And so how we bring the gospel, how we bring the gospel to the world needs to be informed by first the Great Commission, understanding this is what we're called to do. This is the reason why we're here. This is what Jesus has asked us to do. And then we need to take the principle from Luke 16 and say, look, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, the sons of this world, they're more shrewd. They, 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 they know how to reach their generation much more than the sons of light do. We see this illustrated by how Coke is in every place, in every corner of the earth. And understood, and I understand that there are spiritual opposition that we face that Coke doesn't face. I understand that the, the, the parallels are not always equal. I understand all that. But, but if you're an analytical mind and you're thinking about all that right now, stop. Because understand, we have to improve at bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have to take the gospel out to wherever there are people. And we have billions of people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our mission strategy, I think, should include reaching unreached people groups, training national pastors. The deputation system that we have needs to be rethought. We could need to use work to gain access. Do you realize that there are many of you here who have a much greater chance and much greater training to bring the gospel to countries than I do? Because you have skill sets that other countries want that they don't want a theologian in. They don't look at my resume and think, yeah, that's someone that we could use here in North Korea or South Korea or Cambodia or the Philippines. But some of you have, have gifts and skill sets and training that, that, that the, the countries would be wide open to you coming to. Some of you are educators, have great opportunities. Some of you in the medical community have great opportunities ahead of you. We need to use our skills to spread the gospel. Some of you are skilled in tech, a video, grammar, translation work, music, web design, audio engineering, mechanics, arts, graphic design, etc., etc. All these are resources to be unleashed to bring the gospel to the world. It's not just the missionary who went to Bible college, went on deputation, and now goes to the field. Those days are long gone, people. It's skill sets. It's training that you have that we need to use and be much more resourceful thinking and shrewd like what Jesus was saying in Luke 16. Part of that means that we need to live as nimbly as possible. We need to be careful of planting roots too deep so which, or which could be encouraging crippling debt or becoming earthbound or, or whatever the case may be. We need to live nimbly so that we can be mobile for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So eternal resourceful thinking should affect our mission strategy. It should affect our vacations. Let her see there. Go and see unsaved family members when you go on vacation. Go on family missions trips. Now I'm overstating the point a little bit to make the point. I don't believe that every vacation needs to be a missions trip. But I do believe that some of us should be using our vacation time with more eternal focus in mind than what we are. 
It should affect our vacations, affect our time. We should view all of our possessions, what Jesus says here is mammon here, as tools or resources for eternal benefits, not just a temporal benefit. Everything you have is a tool to be used for the kingdom. Unleash it. All the skills, all the training, all the family members you have, whatever you have, God has so designed it so that you would have an opportunity to tell the gospel to other people. He would not have commanded you to tell the gospel if he didn't have people in mind for you to tell the gospel to. So tell the gospel. It's Jesus who saves. It's God who saves. We can't save anyone, but we are told to tell people. So Great Commission Living says that this should be a passion of ours. And this applies to those of us who think that we don't have many possessions. You think, well, I don't really have much. Well, first of all, we have more than what the world has, and so we have more than we think. But we can be selfish with the one item that we do possess. So are you faithful, generous, and eternally focused with what little you do have? You see, the beauty of the widow's offering was not the size. The beauty of the widow's offering was that it was all Jesus's. It was all God's. So I asked the question earlier, Where do we need to improve? I think our motivation has to be right. We have to do this out of a love for God. Saturation has to be our aim. We need to go where the gospel isn't. Creativity needs to be fostered. Use whatever God has given to you for advancement of the gospel. I think this is how we need to improve. We need to have a more of a saturated goal in mind and a more of a creative approach to this stemming from a motivation of a love for God. As I said earlier, don't limit resources to just money. Your time, your voice, these are all resources given to you by God. Too many times we're satisfied with a missions line item existing in our budget as fulfillment of the Great Commission. And it's not. The good, that is good use of our money to support missions. But use your voice. Use your life. Use the resources that God has given to you. We did an experiment several weeks ago and um, where we had a parade out front and we, we had a bunch of water bottles and verses on it and we just encouraged people to take a bottle, a bottle of water and just give it to somebody. And um, we had some people do that, but we had a lot of people that didn't do that. And I'm not discouraged by that, but I think it's just an area where we need to grow, where we need to be willing to, to use whatever means that we can to give good news to people. But we're not willing to do that a lot of the times. We're too afraid of what they would think of us or whatever. I just don't believe that we're hitting the mark where we need to be hitting here. I think we need to improve. I say that lovingly. Some of you are doing an awesome job at this. But some of us need to get better at it. So are we going to live our lives fulfilling the Great Commission? This is what we mean by love people and serve the world. Think globally, act locally. It's like what James two fifteen and 16 says. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Same is true that if we have the things that they need spiritually and we don't give it to them, we are failing them. So go this week. 
use whatever resources that God has given to you to tell others about Christ. Once you start asking God, help me to be creative in this. He will give you ideas that you never had before. I guarantee it. Some of you like it when I give you a homework assignment. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Study that. Meditate upon that text. And then share your observations with someone else this week. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. It will dovetail with what we talked about this morning. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would fulfill the Great Commission. Father, I pray that we would not rest on the fact that we have a missions committee or a, a missions budget in our church as that we are fulfilling the Great Commission. We need to support that. We need to encourage that. We need to participate in that. But that is not where our responsibility ends. Give us the boldness to tell others about Christ. The apostles in the book of Acts, in the beginning of Acts, they prayed for boldness. That They prayed that, that, that you would grant them boldness to stand for you and to, to tell others of you. That We're praying the exact same thing. And we saw, we can read about how you answered that prayer request. And we look forward to you giving us the same boldness that you gave the apostles. Help us to go and have a strategy. Help us to develop a strategy to bring the gospel to the every corner of the earth. I just want to say, Father, thank you that we have a message worth telling the whole world. It's much greater than a can of sugared water. Thank you for that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.